You're listening to Mental Work. I'm your host, Bronwyn, an early career psychologist based in Australia. And this is the podcast taking a closer look at the challenges faced by early career mental health professionals so they don't have to go it alone. Hey, mental workers, and welcome back. So good to have you here. Have you ever felt like you're not helping anyone in your work? And you're like, what is therapy? What the hell am I even doing? Is this person actually being helped or assisted by me in any way? I definitely feel that way. Was made definitely more salient to me over the past week. I was doing some advanced schema training and pretty much for every activity, I was looking at this script, we're practicing role plays and I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't know any of this. And then I had a moment of severe self-doubt. So I'd already had these feelings before that training, but it definitely amplified them. So we're going to have a look at this feeling, like you're not helping anyone. Where does it come from? Why is it there? And what can we do? I've got a few things to touch on in terms of practical things we can do, how we can ask clients for feedback, and what the research says about these feelings that you're not helping anyone. Like, are they actually helpful for the client and yourself even? Let's get started. I think this feeling like you're not helping anyone comes up because we are supposed to be a helping profession. So when we have this thought, I'm not helping anyone, what we're really saying is, am I even good at my job? I don't feel like I am. Should I even be here? I should probably just quit. And it kind of spirals out like that. First of all, I think this is such a common feeling. I frequent a few psychology subreddits and literally one of the posts that I saw about an hour ago was titled Fears of Incompetence. And the person was saying that they feel a great deal of anxiety, shame and fear of being incompetent. I've already done an episode on imposter syndrome. So really the fear that you're not helping anyone is kind of a variation on this. It usually pops up early in your professional career. So for me, at the very, very start, when I genuinely did not know a single thing about therapy and I was seeing like six clients a day, oh yeah, I felt this. I was like, what the hell am I doing? I didn't even know what I am doing. I am talking to these people. Am I doing okay here? And now that I've got a few years of experience under my belt, I'm only two years post-registration. It's kind of coming up again with the learning of the schema therapy. I feel like I'm learning therapy all over again and these feelings are coming back up. There's a few things that I do to keep the dread at bay. Usually I intellectualize at first and I'm like, what is it that I'm feeling? And what does the research say? So let's have a quick look at that. Did you know that actually having a little bit of self-doubt in your abilities as a therapist leads to better outcomes for clients. Yeah. So this is actually supported by research and there's a few research articles there. The research shows that if you have a little bit of humility, so that is not thinking that you are God's gift to the client in front of you. And if you have a bit of openness, so actually thinking, maybe I don't know what the client's experience is and actually saying that to them, I guess that encompasses a willingness to be wrong. And the other thing that leads to better outcome as part of this professional self-doubt is courage. So the courage to try something new with a client, even though it might not work, but because you think it might be helpful to them. So rather than playing safe and just being like, I'm going to listen, actually being like, hey, do you want to give this a go? I'm not sure if it will actually work, but I'm hoping it will. I'm hoping you'll benefit. Can we just give it a go and see? What the research also shows is that a little bit of professional self-doubt is good, but too much so that it lowers your confidence leads to worse outcomes for clients. This is because the anxiety interferes with your performance. This makes a lot of sense. 
And I'm sure you can relate to this, that early on when you're just starting out, there's this second voice in the back of your head and it's saying to you, oh God, what do you say next? And you're like listening to them and you're like, okay, do I need to summarize? Do I need to paraphrase? Am I just going to do an encourager here? Am I going to do a challenge or am I just going to side along with them and not? What we know is that kind of like with social anxiety, when you're so self-focused, it interferes with actually listening and responding well to the client in front of you. What the research also tells us is that if you are too confident in your abilities and you overestimate how good you are, it also leads to worse outcomes for clients. This makes sense. If you have some confidence, good. If you have too much confidence, then you could potentially be doing clients harm. Overall, if you doubt yourself as a therapist just a little bit, but you love yourself as a person, so you got your own back, you're supportive of yourself, you acknowledge that you can't know everything, but you're trying your best, then it's going to lead to better outcomes for clients. That gives me some reassurance when I am doubting myself and I'm like, I don't know this am I even on the right track? In that, that little bit of self-doubt can actually be used in the therapy room, which leads us to our next thing, that if you are not sure you are helping your client, you actually need to go about it in some way and bring it up with them in the session. You don't want to be getting your emotional needs met by the client. So having them reassure you so much that it actually takes away from their therapy. But if you kind of view it as we are working as a team and I want to make sure we're on the right track here, was today's approach helpful for you? Or maybe we could do it in a different way. Or you might say to the client, I just noticed when we did that, that maybe there was a bit of discomfort in how that went for you. Is that right? Or was it something else? So again, you're demonstrating the humility and the openness to being wrong and not knowing everything. I find that these conversations with clients are really helpful and that you can tell when they're being genuine in their responses as well. Also, if you have a good relationship with the client built on that openness and at the very start, you say, I'm really interested in getting this right for you and having the right fit, making sure we're on the right track. The way I do that is I check in regularly with you. This is the kind of thing that I say to clients at the very start in the first session. I want to kind of create a culture where they're able to give me some feedback and that'll lead to us being on the right track. If you are not comfortable with those sorts of comments, and I completely understand that, it took me, I think I actually had to practice saying those things outside of session to be able to feel confident about doing them in session. Because internally, still, when I ask clients for feedback in session, I am still sweating on the inside. And I'm like, oh God, don't like hate me and give me really critical feedback. Never happened. It's never happened. The worst I've had is that a client told me that I nodded a lot and I was like, that's a fair point. But if you are frightened of actually asking those questions, do practice outside of session. But another way you can see whether you're actually helping your clients is to do regular progress measures. If you're an Australian mental health professional, one of the ways that you can do regular progress measures is by using an online service. It's called NovoPsych. It's free, I think, for the first 30 clients or so. I think it's free for students as well. And you can use progress measures such as the DAS-10, which is a newer questionnaire. It's a shortened version of the DAS-21, which is also a shortened version of the DAS-42. You can also use progress measures like the K-10. And so this is on an iPad or other tablet. You give it to the client, they fill it in, and then you can see their progress and you can discuss that with them. And from that, if, you go, if they're going backwards, you might say there's some things outside of therapy that are contributing to you going backwards. Or is there something inside therapy that we can do to better support you? And that's a very, I guess, structured kind of way of doing it. I definitely notice even when I say that right now that I feel way less anxiety than the immediate comments in session where I'm like, was that approach good? 
Finally, there's something else that you can do if you feel like you're not helping anyone. And this one, I've got to be honest, I'm a bit iffy about, but I'll tell you anyway, because you might benefit from it. One thing that I always see online when these discussions come up is that people are like, just focus on the relationship, man, and just ignore the techniques, just focus on the relationship. And I agree with this to an extent. I really agree that listening and trying to take somebody's perspective, empathizing, clarifying what's happening for them and supporting them empathetically is an extremely powerful way of doing therapy. Remember that clients come to us because they're often missing something in their interpersonal lives. They might have nobody who actually they feel cares about them or listens accurately to their experience without invalidating them, dismissing them, cutting them off or yelling at them. So by us as therapists, being that gentle, kind, listening, safe person, we're actually providing them with a corrective emotional experience just in that technique. So if you are doubting yourself that you're helping anyone, remember that. Remember that just by active listening and using your counselling 101 skills, you are doing somebody a great service. There are not enough people in the world who just listen to other people. So I agree with that to that extent. But then a part of me, maybe it's the critical part of me, is like, but people need to know you're competent to be able to also believe in you and have a good relationship. And then I don't know what I'm doing. So then people are going to like me. And so that's how my brain kind of trails off with that. But I think this actually comes back to the humility and openness and also maybe accurate appraisal of what you do know. Because remember, you've studied for a really long time. You know shit. You know lots of stuff. Even if you don't know everything professionally, you've got personal life experiences that can inform what you are doing in the therapy room. You've also got heaps of study in particular areas that are transferable to some issues that clients present with. For example, in your undergrad psychology, you might have done an essay on anxiety. And nowadays, we're kind of thinking that there's transdiagnostic approaches to anxiety and depression. We're kind of seeing them as emotional disorders. So some of what you know about anxiety can actually be applied to depression as well. So really, be kind to yourself. Remember that you do know stuff and be confident with that. Remembering as well the research that shows if you are confident but not overconfident, then you're doing your client a service. Finally, one thing that I found that really helped me in the first six months to 12 months of when I was starting out as a psychologist was actually just focusing on two treatment models for my clients. For all clients who came through the door, I either did CBT by default or if they weren't cool with that or it didn't meet their situation, I would do acceptance and commitment therapy. That was as much as my brain could hold in. And even then, I wasn't great at both of those therapies when I started out. But that was enough to get me through because I could be like to clients like, here's my A approach that's called cognitive behavioral therapy. And they're like, nah, I don't like that. And I'm like, great, here's my B approach. Let's give that a shot. And usually that was enough. So honestly, with competence, Clients don't require that much. They just want to know that you've got a little bit to help them. Even if you demonstrate willingness to learn along the way, I think that does a lot for a client. I think I've given all my hot tips. So let's wrap it up. You're struggling with this feeling that you're not helping anyone. Remember, you don't have to have that figured all out. You don't have to know everything. And you probably know more than you are giving yourself credit for. Overall, the research shows that if you doubt yourself a little bit as a therapist, 
that can lead to better client outcomes. And if you love yourself as a person, that is you got your back and you're compassionate and kind to yourself, that also leads to better client outcomes. And also probably makes you a healthier clinician that doesn't burn out. I would encourage you to give it a go with doing the progress measures or actually getting feedback from clients in session. That's a really good way to start out and actually getting that feedback that you're helping people. And believe me, in the end, it kind of does pay off. Like you don't actually know how much you are helping people. A few weeks ago, I got an email and it's it's one of the nicest things I've received, I think, ever. I got an email from a previous client just thanking me so much for picking up things that other people didn't pick up and now they're thriving and they're leading their best life and I'm so happy for them. But I don't receive that kind of stuff often and I think we we neglect to think of the impact that we're having on people. Okay, that's it on feeling like you're not helping people. Peace out. Hope you guys have a great week and I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Mental Work, the podcast for early career mental health professionals. If you're loving the show and don't want to miss an episode, press subscribe on your podcast listening app. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous ones, leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. What topics would you enjoy hearing us talk about on the show? We'd love to hear from you. Email us your suggestions at mentalworkpodcast at gmail.com. Have a good one and see you next time. Thank you.